Hello, and welcome to this edition of Spotlight. I'll be your host, Rogan. If this is your first time checking out Spotlight, this is an offshoot of the Prognotes podcast, where we chat with some incredible artists and musicians in the progressive rock scene. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you to all of the Prognotes patrons for helping these episodes happen. Check out what the benefits are of becoming a patron at patreon.com slash prognotes. Today we have on Mark from A to Z, here to talk about their debut self-titled album. It's awesome having you on, Mark. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, i um, been doing this quite a long time. Uh, this band features myself, Ray Alder from Fate's Warning. Uh, it's obviously I was in Fate's Warning for 15 years as well. A uh, good friend of mine, Philip Bino, who's on tour now with Steve Vai. Uh, he's been with Steve for a while, but Philip has done... Uh, Warlord Records with me, Warlord Tours with me. Uh, then Vivian Lelou is a French composer, keyboard player. And Jupe Walters is in the Netherlands who's playing guitar. Um, you know, my history goes back, you know, too far to remember. Uh, basically mm -hmm. probably started with uh, Warlord, which most people remember. You know, I did a lot of stuff before that. Uh, I mean, I played with a lot of different people, you know, a lot of quote band projects kind of thing. Uh, a through Z is definitely a band. It's not a project. Uh, I was involved with Spirits of Fire with Chris Caffrey and Ripper Owens. I did an album with Gary Hughes, one of the 10 records. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of recordings over the years. You know, a lot of people no one's ever heard of, but, you know, it's, it's a way to make a living. But no, um, just been very busy. Spent the last year and a half, two years putting this together and taking it from basically just myself to, you know, a record deal, three videos, uh, and a release August 12th. Awesome. Uh, so you've mentioned that you imagined this project as starting more in the mainstream space and expanding outwards for future releases. Uh, what has it been like making that transition from prog metal, such as with Fate's Warning, to writing more for, like, stadium rock? Um, it was... It's, it's easy. It's very easy. This is more of the music that, that I like, that I've always liked, whether it's pop music, rock music. It's all about the hook. It's all about the big chorus. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of years, you know, you know, hey, you guys are great and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of like a small little niche market. And like I've always said, you know, sometimes, sometimes critical acclaim is a little overrated. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of wanted to get out of that. Um, wanted to kind of produce music for the masses, which would, you know, lead to bigger gigs, lead to better record deal, be able to do the things that we really wanted to do. Um, and, and just wanted to, appeal, you know, I, I approached it from a business point of view. If I wanted to write 50 minute prog songs and play every riff that I've ever known, I'm sure I could find guys to do that and we'd never get out of the basement. Because no one wants to hear that. It's been done to death. I, I don't think I have anything to prove in that department. And, um, I just kind of wanted to play the music that I love to play, you know, and, you know, I, I visioned it on a stage. I visioned it, you know, in a big place and translating to an audience, not, you know, busy 30 second notes at 200 beats per minute where everybody kind of going, I don't get it. So it's, you know, music is always, you know, something that's touched, you know, people. And like I always said, you know, that the greatest drum riff of all time is just four quarter notes on the kick drum because everybody gets it. And everybody gets off their seat. Now, if I was playing, you know, something in 7 or 9 or 11 and blah, 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 you know, there's a limited audience for that. So just want to kind of take it to the masses. Mm -hmm. So on that subject, since this album has been composed more as like a large venue performance piece, 
what might the live shows look like? Like, did you have any ideas of the visuals you might present on the road when constructing the album? Yeah, the couple things. Hugh Syme did all the artwork, and Hugh's famous for doing all the Rush covers, uh, a lot of Dream Theater covers, Megadeth, Whitesnake, you name it. Hugh's like one of the big, big, big artist guys, and his artwork on the record is spectacular. So that'll obviously be incorporated, but this is more of an old-school band. I want people to come to see the guys in the band play, not the background dancers and some guy running around, you know, side to side on the stage. It's kind of just good old, th- you know, kind of always say it. it's just rock and roll. You know, it's, it's, it's supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to make you get up. It's supposed to make you move. And uh, at the same time, I knew when I was putting this band together with the players that I had, it's also going to appeal to the prog guys and kind of the, excuse the expression, but the music geeks, guys that are looking at the guitar player or, looking at the bass player or whatever they're doing, it's going to appeal to that. It's not going to be so simplistic that those people will get bored. It definitely ha- it runs both sides of the gamut. Mostly just like you would have the people on stage and then like a light show or something and, and some visuals. Yeah, exactly. I mean, depends how big it's going to get. Depends what you can actually do. But the artwork will definitely be part of the backdrop and those different kind of things, you know, and... Um, We'll kind of see what comes with that, but it's it's more of a rock band, and the energy is coming from the guys in the band mm-hmm. and the music, you know that you know just good old fashioned you know rock and roll. And and you think back to it, and, and it's not the same thing by any means. But I don't remember the Beatles having any dancing girls. You know what I mean? People were there to see the band. You know, they wanted to see the guys play. They wanted to see and hear what someone could do in a live performance. You know, preferably without three computers running in the background with you know tracks on it, but. You know, the, you know, they want to see musicians. Mm-hmm. So you have also already mentioned your plans for a second and third album that you hope to ride off of the back of this first one. Um, are there already like ideas for where you would take these um, and like what might future A to Z releases sound and look like? Well, 20 minutes ago, I was working on a song. Um, yes, we're writing the second album now. We don't really sit down and go okay, we need to go this direction, that direction. We're just kind of, you know, myself and Vivian, the keyboard player, I send him, you know, various different drum ideas. I sit around a lot of times and record drum ideas at different tempos. So I send it to him and say, hey, you know, I mean, that's how the first record was done. Um, And he gets inspired and he writes a part to it. And then we come back with a second part. I send him some more ideas at the same tempo, thinking, hey, I hear it maybe going to a halftime feel or a triplet feel or whatever it might be. And we just, you know, thank God for the internet. We just send stuff back and forth very quickly and cut, paste, move it, do this, do that. Oh, hold on a second, man. I'm going to go cut it again. And like within three minutes, I can send them my idea instead of sitting here trying to explain it to them. I mean, it really is amazing <laughs> what can be done like that. But no, we're, we're just doing our thing. We know what we want it to sound like as far as where the first record is. Obviously, we don't. it doesn't have to be exact. But we're not going to go left field and make it kind of like a jazz polka record or anything like that. <laughs> you know, it's going to be strong hooks, big choruses. Um, and we just kind of we kind of just go to it. It's what we did the first time around. And then you get to a point where you have a certain amount of ideas and we sat back and went, OK, we're kind of missing kind of a slower, heavy one. We have the up tempo. We have the kind of ballad. We have the rock, you know, anthem straight up to like kind of missing that kind of slow, not grindy, but heavy. So then I went in at 92 beats per minute. I laid down a bunch of ideas, sent them to Viv and, and Jupe, and you know we basically came up with a song called Borrowed Time that's on the record. So 
we just kind of do it that way. Sweet. That is a very interesting way to go about like constructing the songs is like starting with sort of the, the, the backbeat and the rhythm and the percussion and stuff and then sending it out and seeing what ideas uh, everybody else has. Well, it's twofold. Number one, all this like kind of crazy stuff that I do and record, it's kind of little, I mean, some of it's straight up, but some of it's a little wacky and it would be very hard for me to take that and shove that into someone else's idea. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very tough. That's one thing. The second part that really turned out well, and I've run into a couple guys that have done this, um, that it works really well. Some guys it doesn't work well at all. They don't get it. They're, they, they're just kind of lost. They have to start everything themselves. But with Viv, you know, and he's told me and other people have told me too that when they get that, it's like a glorified drum machine. So they just turn it on, they loop it, they hear it, they kind of, I don't want to say they close their eyes, but they close their eyes and they just go that way. There's, it's, you know, I've always thought it was tough if I was a guitar player, a keyboard player, to sit down and just start writing something. It's kind of like, but when you have a groove happening, and they've told me it's, it just makes it so much easier and they don't have to worry so much about tempo and feel. It's all there. They just can play. And what happens is, we, you know, if I send Viv something that has a really, really busy part, let's just say a lot of drums going on in a part, he's going to automatically think, okay, well, I'm going to play kind of, uh, you know, not so many notes over the top to clash with Mark. And then we go to other sections where I'll simple it up and they'll get a little busy. So it, it, it kind of lays a roadmap out for you a little bit. Instead of some guy coming to me here, like, and, and I've had it before in the past. I've had guys come to me and, you know, they, they play me, they record some idea and send it to me. I said, okay, well, first of all, what's the tempo? Uh, tempo? I don't know. I just started playing. I'm like, well, I can't even make it. It's one thing if it sounds like ACDC, we can all follow that. But some of this other stuff that you're sending me, I can't, I can't figure it out. So a lot of times when it does start with the drums like that, it's a really solid foundation. We have a great idea of kind of the direction and the mood of the song and where it's going. And I was just lucky to find, and but that's what I knew I needed in the beginning is to find somebody that locked into that. Believe me, I've done this with big name guys and not so big name guys, and that has nothing to do with it. It's just a, kind of like a special person kind of gets it and it works for them. You know, some people it just doesn't work for, it just doesn't work. It's okay. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know. But uh, no, I kind of like doing it this way. Not all the songs are done this way necessarily. But it gives me, and the reason I started, you know, part of the reason I started the band was it gives me the opportunity to be creative and get my stuff out there, and then we're going to build on top of that. For sure. You reunite with Ray Alder on this album after uh, over 15 years after Fate's Warning, I believe. Um, How was it hitting him up for this project, and how did he help sort of shape the vision of the album? Well, I've known Ray for quite a long time, and he was probably one of the guys that I hung out most with, you know, back in the day. He'd come to my studio, we were both in the cars, and, you know, we hang out besides band stuff. So it kind of got to that point where, you know, I, I contact a lot, whole lot of different singers, you know, big, small, in between, whatever. No one was really getting it. And the one thing I knew about Ray was, uh, well, the two things I knew about Ray was, number one, he sings in the pocket all the time. So I knew he would understand Plus, I remember in the old days, we'd always talk and he talked about how he was kind of raised on this kind of music, you know, whether it's Journey or Chaka Khan or Earthling and Fire or whatever. But that that vocal oriented, hook oriented, big song singer kind of stuff. So it kind of got to a point. I said, well, I don't have a singer right now. I can call Ray. He can hang up on me. 
Uh, he can tell me, you know, go away, whatever. It's kind of where I'll be anyway. So I figured out, ah, why not just call him? So I called him and, you know, he's living in Spain right now and I'm in California. And we just started talking. I didn't know what he was doing. Whatever was happening in Fate's Warning was none of my business. It was none of my concern. And I just said, hey, I'm doing this. You know, you, you know, are you interested? You want to give it a shot? I said, okay, send me a couple things and, and let me see. And I knew the minute I got the first song back that there was magic. Just like I knew when Viv sent me back that first, uh, it's funny, it's the same song. It's uh, Rise Again off the record. When he sent me back his ideas, I knew there was like, okay, this guy gets it. We're, we're going to work just fine together. He, he gets it. He knows space. He's a, he's a composer. Though. That's the thing. He's not just a keyboard player. So he understands structure and he understands air and breath and, and, and space and how things should work in a song. Um, but then when Ray sent his stuff back, I just went, oh, he gets it. He's all over this. This is, and, and he told me after, he goes, you know, it's, he goes, this was so much easier. And he, and he, you know, he goes, everything's in four, you know? And, and I knew he was a big pocket singer and he would get what we're doing. There's nothing that we're playing that someone has to scratch their head and go, well, was that in seven or was that in nine or why did I miss something? No, it's, it's just one, two, three, four, you know, it's, it's right there. And it's meant to be like that. You did mention uh, you you also brought on Hugh Syme for the album art, uh, famous for like Rush and a bunch of Fates Warning and, and like a, just a ton of other stuff. What made you think of his work for the album cover? And like what sort of prompts did you have for the visual direction? Well, if you go back to the beginning, the whole idea when I did this was it, it was, you know, time to put your money where your mouth was and time to put all the chips to the middle. If I told myself, if you're going to do this, you got to do it right. You can't just like, hey, go to our website, check out our cute little pictures my wife took. You know, I mean, I, I didn't want to do that. And that's great. And if anybody, any band wants to do that, and I understand monetary restraint, I get it all, believe me. But that's not why I was doing this. And my whole thing was like a lot of other things I've done in life, um, you know, business stuff. It's like, if you're going to go, you do it smart, but you go and you get the best people you can find and you let them do what you can do. And that was the theory behind the whole band. I mean, I auditioned eight different recording engineers to find the guy to mix. I wasn't just going to go off someone's recommendation. I, you know, guys that won Grammys, one guy like had nine Grammys, you know, and other guys that no one ever heard of. But I was just looking for that needle in the haystack thinking, I just need one guy that gets it, you know, and we found that guy, you know, uh, Simone uh, Mulroney in, um, in Italy. Phenomenal job. Just unbelievable guy to work with. But when it came down to you, you know, I had talked to a lot of different artists and I had the guys in the band. Hey, you know anybody, you know, talk to them. They were sending me stuff. And the last thing I wanted was serpents, Vikings, dragons, fire, end of the world, that, that stuff. No, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. And I got a lot of that. Believe me. Oh, I got a lot of that. <laughs> uh, everybody just thought that's, oh, that's what they want. I said, no. In my mind, what I wanted was completely different. I wanted something to really stand out. I was kind of everything that we did on this. I wanted it to stand out and be different and be noticed. Uh, I figured again, like Ray, hey, you know, I haven't talked to Hugh in a while. Pick up the phone, give him a call. We're chit chatting. He's telling me about uh, redesigning his house or whatever, and he's asking me about my kids. Blah blah blah. And he says to me, "Hey man, what are you doing musically?" And I tell him, I tell him the name of the band. I go, "Okay, cool, cool. Okay, you talk, take you know, take care." Didn't talk business. Didn't say, "Hey man, can you do this?" Literally 20 minutes later, he sends me back the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it kind of just went from there. And I, and when I saw it, yes, certain people had certain reactions to it. You know, oh, the teeth on the zebra is really dirty, blah, blah, you know, whatever. My thought was, number one, it looks amazing. It jumps. And Philip Bino said it best. He goes, I would buy that shirt even if there wasn't a band, just from the image. Um, and then it just rolled from there. Then, he, you know, then we got down to business and he started rolling out all the other artwork. And again, it was a thing where this was going to be, you know, a 14 or 16 page full booklet, full album, full art. Hugh did everything on it, all the artwork, you know, all the uh, design packaging and putting things together. It even gets down to where on the vinyl, the labels on each side are different. You know, that's just the way Hugh works. There's always this little, there's always something inside. Where's Waldo? You know, you're looking in there for something. That's just the way he works. But that's what I wanted. I wanted people to get this and go. Oh my God, where have these guys been? You know, it's like, this is big. This is real. The sound is there. The songs are there. The playing's there. And wow, check out this artwork and the packaging. It was again, you know, I was going to put my money where my mouth was. Uh, we were going all in. And it's the same thing where, you know, we, we were fortunate enough from Metal Blade, has been great, to have a small video budget, you know, and they were expecting to do one video. I said, well, you know, one video is going to kind of come and go and that'll be it. So decided to do three again. Find the best people that I can, can I can that I work with, a gentleman named Chris Grosso doing all the editing, and we, we're doing three. You know, two of them are out already. Stranded will come out on August twelfth when the album comes out. So just kind of doing everything bigger, better, faster, stronger. Uh, to you know, like they say, you only have one chance to make your first impression. You know, and and I didn't want to hear, oh that that that's kind of cool, man. I can't wait for your second record. It's like, well, wait a minute, what happened to the first record? You know, <laughs> did it come and go that fast? You know, so I just kind of wanted to, you know, took a look around and tried to figure out what could put us a step ahead. That's all, you know, get the best that you can and, and just let them do what they do. Absolutely. So with this project taking such a different direction from your usual prog roots, uh, how would you say your influences differ across this release? And what are some of the artists you took inspiration from? This just really goes back to those days of commercial hard rock, Boston, Foreigner, Journey. Uh, when it comes to that structuring, you know, it, when it comes to the to the big hook, you know, it just goes back to that. You know, whether it's Separate Ways by Journey, Jane by the Starship, you know, Survivor had a million hits. You know that that were just, you know, you can't get the can't get the hook out of your head. But again, you know, it, it's not that simple because I've got guys that can really play. You know, and, and this has kind of been equated sometimes, whether it's the Toto or Journey, where on the surface, it all it all sounds cute and nice and, and kind of simple and easy. But if you were in a cover band and you had to dig into it and figure out the actual parts, it could be a problem. And I remember back in the day, years and years and years and years ago, when I played covers, there, there were a few bands that, you know, hey, it sounded really simple. It's like, wait a minute, why doesn't that sound like the record? And then when you really go listen to it, it's a lot deeper than what it is. And I think that's exactly what we have going on when you take five guys at this level and kind of let them do their thing. And everybody knows where we're going. They know where the goal is. It's not like one guy's over here and one guy's over here, and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's the, you know, the true essence and the magic uh, of what's happening here. Awesome. Well, that's all I have for you. It's been wonderful chatting. Awesome. I definitely appreciate your time. Yeah, uh, where can people find you? It's the, 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 the release August 12th is on Metal Blade Records. So you just go to the Metal Blade website and, and we're there. 
Um, it, it'll be all over the place, you know. Um, I'm not sure if they sent you everything, but, you know, we, we have all the usual stuff. I don't have it written down right in front of me, but we have all the, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, uh, the videos are all over YouTube. All you have to do is go to YouTube or Spotify and it's there. You know, the, the two singles are uh, The Machine Gunner and Trial by Fire is the second one. Nice. Yeah. I believe there's a website, too, which I'll make sure to, to link in there. Yes. Well, it's been fantastic having you on. I really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Spotlight. If you enjoyed the episode or learned something new, please subscribe. If you'd like to hear more interviews and get more prog rock content, you can become a special Prognotes patron at patreon.com slash prognotes. Join that if you want to ask some of your favorite artists' questions to be featured in the episode. Also, come join our Discord community to chat with like-minded folk and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a new prog cover song out, so check that out on our YouTube along with everything else through the link in the description. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. The next spotlight will be up on August 30th, and Destin and Drew will be back with another episode on the Prognotes feed on September 15th. See you on Discord. Thanks. Thanks.